conversations today we got a special guest matthew savvy welcome to the show hey thanks happy to be here oh man glad to have you here man uh, can, you, can you give us a little bit about your background and uh, tell us what you're into these days yeah absolutely so i'll kind of I like to start start way from the beginning because i set the stage for where i am today so my background is actually in mechanical engineering. Uh, I went to school for mechanical engineering, had worked at Procter & Gamble, kind of a big global corporation, really in their manufacturing setting. So I never really did like proper mechanical engineering. Uh, but after, so like after a few years, I was like, this isn't what I want to do, right? <laughs> and so I uh, had, you know, with a friend, you know, young in a city, it's like, oh, let's like, you know, start a company. Let's be entrepreneurial. Like, what does that even look like? And so that kind of like, you know, started us down this path of like, you know, thinking about things to build, then like finding, you know, tutorials and courses on web development, building out websites and web apps. And uh, really started from a place of just having fun and exploring and like learning. And then at a certain point, after a few years, I realized, you know, I was spending a lot of time outside of work, nights, weekends, like doing this and like, like doing that more than what I was doing for like my regular jobs. Like, how do I, how do I make this transition? Right. And so, you know, I had already learned a lot, but I didn't know kind of what next steps look like for me. And so at the time, the only clear option was to find like a web development bootcamp, kind of go through that to help make the transition. And so being in the Boston area, fortunately there was a bunch of options. I found one that you know worked for me and I really approached it from the standpoint of, I didn't want to rely on them teaching me anything from like a technical perspective so that I could focus the entire time on like, what does the career change look like? Like, how do I actually make this transition effective? How do I utilize this time to the best of my ability? And I think ultimately that really set me up for success because, you know, boot camps they, they cover a lot of material, right? And I was in a place where I'd already covered most of that material over the previous like three years. So like, I didn't need to stress out about learning all this new technology while I was in there and allowed me to really focus on the networking side of things, making connections in the community, figuring out how to apply, doing interview prep and all this stuff. And then that resulted in me, you know, making the transition, like finding that first job and finding something I was really excited about. And so I managed to kind of jump right into the blockchain industry, like kind of switching into software and into the blockchain at the same time. <laughs> and that was almost by accident a little bit. Like I had applied to this role that they really just talked about kind of backend engineering, data structure and algorithms. I was like, that sounds interesting. And then it wasn't until I was interviewing with them and they were telling me what they were actually building that I realized it was, it was blockchain. And so it was a really exciting and fun transition very quickly because it was a small team that I joined, I joined as like employee number six, and then we wanted to start growing. So we had just done a fundraising round. And so I very quickly was able to bring some of my past experience to the team and help build out the hiring process and kind of put some structure in there. And so in a short period of time, I was able to have that opportunity to be on both sides of that interview process. One, you know, two months ago, I was applying as a junior developer, like, how do I, like, what does that experience as a candidate look like? And then, you know, a couple months later, I was, okay, as a hiring manager, what am I looking for in candidates? And so it was a really exciting opportunity to have, and I wanted to give back. And so be, still being in the Boston area, I was able to keep in touch with the web development boot camps, providing value, like giving talks and coaching to you know those uh, students that are going through it to hopefully pass on some some helpful tips to make allow people to make the transition faster and so 
was with that company for a while. Um, eventually that company uh, fizzled out, unfortunately, but then <laughs> that led me to kind of a, a new opportunity of uh, working for another uh, company in the space. Uh, so still in the blockchain space, now at a company called Celestia, um, uh, as well as, you know, since the kind of pandemic and things going remote, I was able to launch a coaching company as well called My Code Career. We're helping people make that transition into tech uh, or really kind of take their interview skills to the next level, right? Because especially in today's market, lots of layoffs, lots of, you know, lots of demand and not as much, you know, supply. Some of the kind of tips and strategies and tactics that people are using in the past like aren't, aren't working for them anymore. You know, they're not, not receiving anything back from their application. So helping to provide people that support of and coaching of how, how do you stand out in the job market like how do you get your application seen and, and how do you you know land that next job so that's a little bit about me hopefully kind of spanning spanning the decades there <laughs> a little bit <laughs> and uh, uh excited to uh excited to be here absolutely so uh, i noticed that you made a transition from mechanical engineering into coding uh what was it about mechanical mechanical engineering that you didn't like that coding kind of filled that uh scratched that itch yeah great question i think it was the ability to be hands-on which is kind of funny to say because when i initially was going to college i chose mechanical engineering because i thought it was going to be very hands-on <laughs> and i think in practice you know what i found was that i didn't i never found something that i was excited to apply mechanical engineering to right and so you know in college there were some groups like uh there's a group called the ASME, so American Society for Mechanical Engineers. There's a local club that did like rally cars. Basically, they, they built their own rally car, um, and you know there are people that are really excited about that. I wasn't necessarily a car person, so that didn't really appear to appeal to me. So then going into Procter and Gamble and like manufacturing, like I was just doing like process and like team management. I wasn't doing mechanical engineering, but with software and like coding, I was able to say like, I want to build this thing. And just immediately on the computer and see it on the website and like it's like whoa like awesome right <laughs> like yeah. that, that direct it was uh, that direct feedback and like really fast feedback loop was something that was really exciting and engaging to me so i could learn something and apply it immediately and there was really no barrier to entry to do that and i think that that for me was what was really exciting and being able to really kind of like tangibly you know work on something learn something and apply those skills so it sounds like uh, you did a lot of self-learning before you even got to the boot camp. Uh, what, what, what was your learning strategy or was it more so just kind of go, go to an area you're interested in and play around with it? Or did you have like a formalized plan? I didn't have a super formalized plan, I think, until I was towards the end and was able to kind of like identify some of my gaps. Like early on, it was me and my friend, we wanted to build a web app. So we just looked for you know, web developer courses, right? And so early in that time, like Udemy was really gaining a lot of speed. And so we did, we took a lot of Udemy courses, you know, we waited for those flash sales and bought like 10 courses for a dollar <laughs> or, you know, or whatever. And so, you know, probably took, you know, three or four different like complete web developer boot camps, like on Udemy, right? You know, the early ones were, you know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, PHP, and like MySQL, right? Like, kind of real basic, like no frameworks or anything, then doing like Python ones, JavaScript ones, and something that um, 
I think I eventually did like a Ruby on Rails one as well, because that was what my boot camp was going to do. And I think having that approach was was where I was mostly just interested in like building something and just kind of like exposure. I didn't have a, you know, really like set timeline for myself early on allowed me to experiment in a bunch of different ways, which in retrospect was really beneficial because I got exposure to like, you know, five or six different languages that excluding HTML and CSS, right? It's so like JavaScript, PHP, Ruby, uh, Python. Like I got, got to see all of those and then start identifying, okay, these are some of the kind of core principles that are standard across, right? I'm, I'm watching all these tutorials and recognizing they're going through the same, same system, right? They talk about variables, they talk about functions, they talk about scope, they you know, talk about all these things just in different ways and implementations within these languages. And so that was really, help, really helpful early on to then be able to start, continue to kind of like, as I was building out these applications, be able to reflect and say like, which parts of these applications am I really excited about building? And that's when I can like focus and like then kind of get more details, like understand like my knowledge gap, right? And so that, and that's one of the things that I try and, and tell people early on as quickly as possible is like, don't worry about like the best right now. Everyone's worried about like, what's the best language to learn? Or, like what's the best framework to learn? It's like, it's like, you can worry about that later because best is subjective, right? And it really depends like what you like doing, right? And so just like jump in, like, learn some of the basics, like try and build something and then reflect like, okay, building that, what did I find the most interesting? Do I want to learn more on? And then we can start talking about what are some trade-offs? Like what are some like pathways to actually focus on? Um, but I think one of the challenges today is, is especially in like today's kind of like clickbaity, you know, internet where it's like, oh, like don't do this. Like, oh, the best way is to do this. I think people then approach this from that same mindset of like, oh, I don't yeah. want to make a mistake early on or like, oh, I got to find the best one, right? And so where a lot of times it's, you know, really about just like jumping in, getting dirty and like realizing that like everything you learn in the first like, you know, three, six, like nine months, you're probably going to like scrap and like start over anyway. So it doesn't really matter, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and just like having fun and fi find something that you're excited about. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that, man. Um, like once, like you like you mentioned, once you dabble with the different languages, you find a lot of the concepts uh, they transfer over. The syntax might be different, but you're pretty much just giving a computer like a sequence of steps, and mm -hmm. you know, it might look slightly different in each of the other languages, but most of the stuff carries over. So, like you mentioned, there's no perfect language that once you have this, you're gonna have a, a job automatically. So, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that like, that's too, so the point you just made about like, none of them are going to get you a job automatically. I think that's also in hindsight, something that was like really beneficial to like my journey is like, I went into it, not, not with the expectation of getting a job. I just wanted to like do it to learn it. Right. And so like, I think that allowed me a lot of freedom to do a bunch of different things and kind of like figure out what worked best for me. Whereas a lot of people now are, from the very beginning have this job focus in mind and there and like that's uh, which is good to like have that specific goal and at the same time it can cause them to like get blocked in the beginning to be like okay like what do i need to learn to like get a job the fastest right yeah. and it's like that's different for everyone right everyone you know so often you see like get a, get get into front end that's how you get your foot in the door and then you can expand and like I just like fundamentally disagree with that <laughs> because like, 
I mean, like I, I am like the perfect example for that. And I think I've, I know a lot of people like in the blockchain space that are perfect examples of like why that statement is so wrong because so many like myself and so many others that I know, like if we tried to get a front end developer job as our first job, like we would never would have made it because like, that's not our skill set. Like that's not like what yeah. we're good at and that's not what we're super passionate about. Right. And so, you know, I try, I really enjoy trying to find the people that are like, he's like, Oh, like I'm just trying to get my foot in the door, like front end development, but I eventually want to do back end development. It's like, okay, like let, how do you like, just like skip those like five years of transitioning from front end to back end and just, just do back end now because like, that's totally a possibility. <laughs> right. Um, so, cause I think it like it, there's this like innate, you know, bias within the industry that like front end is easy and like front end is like less than back end, which I also um, just disagree with because like, you know, you can be a principal front end developer and you can be a principal back end developer. It's like two different disciplines. Like there's no one is better than the other. One is smarter than the other. They're just different. Right. Yeah. Um, and each have their own challenges. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, the front end can be just as complex as, you know, any other aspect of web development. Um, yeah, like, like you mentioned, like, I think passion is a, a big, uh, a big thing. Um, like you need to focus on what really gets you going. Otherwise, uh, you know, you're going to be climbing uphill. It's going to be a slog. Like, are you going to stick with it if, if you're hating what you're doing? Like to me, it wouldn't have made sense for you to jump into the front end if you hated it. Cause it's been, you might as well have just stayed with mechanical engineering. It's like mm -hmm. the same thing. Like you don't like the front end, you don't like mechanical engineering. So why go from one thing you don't like to another thing you don't like? Yeah. Exactly. And I, and I even, I had played around with the idea of going my first role being like a full stack developer role. But like one of the things that I realized very early on was that every full stack position that I was applying to was like a front end role, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's like all the interviews were talking about like responsive front end design, like responsive, you know, like how, like, how would you separate these pixels? Like, how would you, you know, do all these things? And it's like, yeah, like, I don't want to do this. So like, <laughs> I need to stop applying to these roles and like apply to something that like, I'm excited about the interview, right? Because I think it's, it's super telling. Like if you don't, if you're not interested in solving the challenges that they give you in an interview, then like probably that's not the right role for you, right? I, I know uh, a lot of people recommend front end because like you mentioned, they kind of think it's easier, but it's also more visible. Like you can say, hey, look at my portfolio mm -hmm. website. It looks all cool, got all the cool effects. Like how do you uh, create a back end portfolio site that you know, catches the eyes of recruiters? Mm -hmm. That is a great question. And I think there's two ways that you can go about it, right? So like you can create command line applications that would be, and there's lots of tools around like recording the command line. So there's a, a, a nice, easy free one called ASCII Cinema, where if you have a program that runs in the terminal, spits out some stuff and, and things like that, you can use ASCII cinema to just like record the terminal screen and like put it in the readme of your uh, GitHub. So that again, like that's like your visible portfolio, like here's the code, here's an example of the running, here's what it's doing. And you can like talk through it. Right. So that's one way really just like leaning into GitHub as your portfolio as a backend developer. Another one where if people kind of get into things from, you know, they go down like the full stack developer path just so that they can like see the whole end to end, but then they want to focus on the back end, which is kind of more like what my story was, was finding an application that you're excited about building out the functionality a lot. 
right? So I think you you often see a lot of the same types of portfolios from like bootcamp grads of like, oh, this is an example of like a to-do list. This is an example of like an API connection. And the the depth of each, they might have three visually looking pretty nice portfolio pieces, but the depth of each one is pretty minimal. So they're not like that interesting. And so that's where people that are more interested in the backend can really excel, um, excel is to look at the depth. Like how do I make this a more interesting and technically deep portfolio project? And so, you know, what I had worked on kind of leaning into like my interests and like passions at the time is uh, when I was going, uh, learning to code, there was a company out called ClassPass. And ClassPass was all about, it was like big in metropolitan areas where there's a lot of different gyms that you could buy passes to. But like, it's like, oh, like I got to have like a spin studio here, a yoga studio here, a fitness studio here, right? And so like people didn't want to have like 1,500 different monthly passes. But ClassPass, you had like one membership and you got passes to each of these individual ones. Like, mm -hmm. oh, that's really cool. I'm a big rock climber and like rock climbing has like the same problem where there's lots of different gyms spread across the city and, and climbing is inherently a very social activity, like with like belay partners and things like that. And so, but often if you're, you know, if your friends live in different parts of the city, you end up going to different climbing gyms because you just go to the one that's closest to you. Right. But if you had like one pass that to like go to whatever gym you wanted, you could like go to, you know, different ones. Like that would be great. Like you could like just switch off which gym you went to. And so like, I had tried to like kind of build that out for myself. Right. So I super basic front end, just using like bootstrap, just like call it good, no additional styling. Right. It's like bare minimum. It works. You can use it. But then I focused on like the back end. like, how do I create QR codes? How do I track metrics? How do I do all these different things that make it more interesting to use? And that could actually be a user of the application. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where I think back end developers and people that want to be back end developers can really focus their portfolios to say, hey, here's like how you can really use it. And here's something that's like actually interesting to use and isn't just like a example of how you do something with coding. Yeah, exactly. Uh, something I've even been thinking about uh, is like maybe juniors linking up together and working on projects together. Like, say me and you were both getting into the industry. You're really into the back end. I'm really into the front end. Like, why couldn't we work together on a portfolio site? You, you know, we each stay in our respective sectors. And, you know, that way you kind of get the best of both worlds. Like, hey, this site looks great, but also has that real depth of functionality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that is a great option when it works well for people. <laughs> I think yeah, like, no I think the thing that I always see people, especially junior developers, like struggling is like, what does that like cross communication? Like what, what does like team planning look like for like mm -hmm. software engineering? And so um, I think that that strategy can work really well when you have like a mentor or something that helps you with the kind of like, how do you like actually do it from like a work process standpoint so that you can just focus on like doing your coding, right? Because, you know, as soon as you start working with someone, then it starts, okay, like, are we on GitHub? Do we, are we using forks? Are we using branch management? What's our PR review? Like, are we doing that? Like what, you know, how does all this stuff go together? And so it just like, oh, which is, all stuff that you need to learn yeah. <laughs> right and so it's you know great valuable skills skills to have and i think um i think one of the challenges though that prevents a lot of junior developers from doing that is because like they just want to be able to code and like then they yeah. then they're running into all these bottlenecks of just like how do they work with someone um and so it's, de it's definitely a, a challenge and like i but i think 
if if it can you know if you can figure it out and you can have the word process it's it's a great option yeah because you know the reason i mentioned that because like you mentioned before the industry is getting more challenging uh it's a lot more competition so it's like you're gonna have to do more and more to stand out uh and uh you know i, I know you said some something along the lines of uh, a lot of people are doing things that used to work but then they're not working anymore can you talk a little bit about that yeah i think the you know what's working now versus like what worked in the past i think a big one for a technical field like software engineering is in the past people would just put on the resume software engineering list out the skills and they would just get flooded with inbound right because like there's just when there's a lot of software jobs like you know it's a because you can do software and is it as its own industry and basically in any other industry really like the the options are limitless in terms of like what you can do with software engineering and so in bull markets where supply is high it doesn't take much to get interviews right because like people are constantly just trying to fill holes like they've got more job openings than they, they can fill right and so from like what people do in the past like really they don't need to do much they just have to like keep like an updated linkedin and that's it right um you know but today in you know this job market trying to figure out how do I still get in front of hiring managers. Like, how do I have these conversations? It's, you know, thinking, okay, technical skills are just a kind of baseline, right? And yeah. it's like, that's like what you need to know to do the job. So you have to answer the question, why me? Right. And so people that, if you look at their profile, look at their resume, look at their uh, LinkedIn, if it's still coming off as just, you're a software engineer, great. Like you're a senior software engineer, great. But I don't know anything about like what makes you different and like why you're a good engineer, like why you do what you do and why you might be a good fit on my team. Like I'm going to go on to the next person that might tell me that, right? Yeah. And because people people hire, hire people, right? Skills are like a f initial filter, but then people hire people. And so like understanding how to communicate that and link that with your career path, with your skill progression, and all of that is really where people need to focus in order to continue to be a really strong candidate, regardless of the market conditions. Yeah, that's a great point, because I was talking to a recruiter friend uh, a couple of days ago, and he mentioned like uh, hiring managers, they just don't want anybody. They really want somebody like what makes him different? Like, why, why should I hire this guy? You know, with so many people getting laid off from big companies, all the fame companies, there's a ton of talent applying for these jobs. So what makes you stand out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And because I and another way to think about it, too, is is, you know, thinking about the difference between like a four year degree and self-taught engineers. Right. It's kind of like that four-year degree might be similar to like having a fan company on your resume where self-taught developer might be more similar to just having general software engineer at some random company on your resume right both are totally valid amazing career paths and on the surface level one might get prioritized over the other but at the end of the day the one that has the better story the one that is more interesting to the team to bring them on and work with them that's the one that's going to get hired right exactly uh you know i kind of
think about it like it's your brand it's almost marketing like say you don't have a four-year degree how are you going to sell your story like um maybe you could sell your story as like i'm so dedicated and passionate about this i taught myself and my ability to be a self-learner that's going to take me further than someone who may have a four-year degree but once you know they get in they're kind of complacent they're, they're going to coast on that four year you know that's not necessarily going to be the case but you can kind of sell yourself like that whereas since i love this field and i'm always learning i'm going to carry that attitude with me into this new job and uh and mm -hmm. i've demonstrated the ability to be able to pick up skills quickly like whatever your situation is you got to kind of learn how to sell yourself like you mentioned you can't just put bullet points like you know you're writing technical documentation that's like your advertisement your resume mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and I'm, I'm so glad you said it in that way in terms of like brand and marketing because it is so true interviewing the job search it is marketing and software engineers in general are not good at marketing yeah. <laughs> right a lot of people are not good at self-marketing either right and so that's why interviewing and job search is such a specific skill set and often very different than like what you're doing on the job. So, you know, that's why it's so important to like have some sort of outside perspective, some sort of outside help, whether it's a coach or mentor or trusted friend to be able to give you that perspective. Like, okay, this is what you said you want. This is what you're putting out there. This is what I'm interpreting that as, right? Cause it's really hard to do that self-reflection of like looking at your profile and trying to objectively say what does this tell me right because you have all the context right you have all the context about yourself so like you're filling in gaps that you don't even know are there right and so understanding like what is that marketing that i'm doing to position myself and what is that brand statement like what is that personal brand that i'm bringing to this so i know you've been uh, around like you know been in and around the hiring process what what is like an excellent resume accident candidate what are some of the things they're doing to really make them pop out at you yeah i think the the resumes are pretty you know i think some of the best practices around resumes have been around for a while right in terms of like making sure it's like up to date and relevant to the job right and making sure that it's tailored to like what you want and I think it's important to distinguish between tailored to what you want and tailored to the individual job because people that tailor it to each individual job are wasting a lot of time because they're tailoring to an individual job as opposed to having a clear goal of what they want, tailoring the resume to that, and then finding a job that fits that, right? And so, you know, people that do that well, like, you know, their resume comes across like, oh yeah, like this is like relevant experience to what I'm doing. And that means I want to have a conversation. Right. And that first conversation is is really where you start seeing people standing out or not. Right. Because that first conversation and how you kind of talk about your past experience and how you relate that to like why you're interested in this job and like why you want to join the team is where people either kind of make it or don't. <laughs> right. I think in the and that's another kind of distinguisher between like in the past and in the present. Right. In the past, like you probably could just have been like, these are all my technical achievements. This is what I know. And a recruiter or hiring manager would be like, great, let's move, let's move you forward. Let's have more conversations. But now when people are, you know, being more picky or have a tighter hiring budget, it's like, okay, like, cool. Like you just, you know, you just told me what was on your resume. I already knew that. What else? Right. And it's like, how do you continue to like make 
people more and more interested in you is a key piece to that. And if I think back about across all the people that I've interviewed, the ones that stand out the most and the ones that I, I still reflect on today are the ones that like every interview, I learned something new, right? And it wasn't, it wasn't new, like, you know, different. It was like new information that further built this image of them that made them become an even better candidate. Every time I learned something new, it was improving their profile and improving their profile, right? Because um, like in any conversation, you can definitely learn something new. But whether or not that new piece of information is is supporting this narrative that you're you know pushing is is a key difference. And so, how do you, as an applicant and a candidate, kind of think about your process and think about that the, all those conversations you're going to have, and make sure that as you're going through, people are continuing to learn more and more about you, and why that's furthering the discussion of why you are the right person for this role. Absolutely. So with your coaching business, is the is a process like kind of similar of what we're doing now? Like what, what does that process look like if somebody wanted to get your coaching? Like where do they start off and how, how, how do you work them through getting them to where they need to be? Yeah, great question. So it is a lot of like what we just talked about here, right? It's kind of starting from the beginning of like what it is that you want. Right. That's like the first kind of question, getting clarity and for people trying to break into the space or people in this job market where they might have been applying for a while, it's easy to kind of get sucked into the narrative like, well, I'll just take anything. Right. And it's like that's a good mindset from the standpoint of like you're appreciative for any opportunity that you get. But it's a terrible strategy because if you, you can't, you know, if, if if you're OK with anything, then like nothing is a good one. Right. And so taking a step back and saying, okay, removing yourself from the situation, like look for years down the line or something like what it is, what do you want to be doing? Like, let's work backwards from there. Like, let's kind of get, get out of the today. So allow you to remind yourself like what it is you actually want to be doing, because then we can start working backwards to say, this is what you want. These are the types of roles that are going to get you there. This is then like important experience and technical skills and things you need to demonstrate and market and how do we then start crafting this more you know directed and targeted approach to this job search as opposed to having conversations with anyone and everyone right because in the job search right different recruiters different applications inevitably you're going to get rejections you're going to get negative feedback you're going to get potentially helpful feedback right but if you don't know what your clear end goal is, it's hard for you to understand if any of that feedback is even relevant, right? And I think that goes back to like the anecdote that I mentioned before about like when I was applying for jobs the first time around, if I didn't have a clear idea that I wanted to go into the back end, right? All those full stack developer jobs that I applied to where I did really poorly on like the front end questions, like I would have just interpreted that as like, I need to do better with the front end. I need to spend all this time, you know, studying the front end and getting better at answering those questions, which would have been a terrible use of my time because I don't want to do that in the long term, right? That would have been an example of me wasting time studying something just to get a job that I'm potentially then not going to like, <laughs> right? And so instead, being clear on what you want so that when you have negative, potentially negative experiences in the job search, you can more easily say, okay, like that was a bad interview, but it's okay because like ultimately I shouldn't have applied for that job. So the learning there is actually, I need to apply to a different type of job that matches my skill set better as opposed to 
how do I study better to like answer those types of interviews again, right? And so that's a big part of it in terms of you know what it is you actually want to do. Let's craft a plan, be able to then prioritize and focus and kind of continue to like work through this process and know how to respond to the feedback that you're going to be getting. Yeah, that's a great point, uh, especially about the failing the interviews. Like I fail, you know, I still fail interviews to this day. So uh, yeah. I think it's important not to take it personally. Like you just look at what you can improve and, you know, make those adjustments, but don't beat yourself up over that. Like, mm -hmm. how, how do you uh, like encourage a junior who's been facing like hundreds of rejections and failing countless interviews? Like, how do you get them back on the back on track? Yeah, I think it's especially that first role, that junior role, it's definitely tough, right? Because if you're just trying to do that, like spray and play a pry everywhere, and a lot of the times you're just you're just not hearing anything, it's really hard to know what to work on, right? And so in that situation, like understanding, you know, if you're not even getting to the interview stage, right, trying to think about, okay, it, it could be nothing wrong with your profile. It's just like, maybe it's just like how we're applying. So, like, so the problem is like the job application piece, not, not you, right? It's like understanding like the difference, right? It's not that, mm -hmm. you know, it's not that you are doing a bad job or you don't have the skills to do that job. It's just that the way that you're applying for these roles isn't working out. So let's change, change that. What can we do differently? Let's evaluate networking opportunities. Let's you know, have more in-person meetups. Like let's have some more conversations to get that first conversation to start having conversations with the recruiters, with hiring managers and get into those interviews, right? And so I think that's like a big piece of like making sure, not taking kind of like being ghosted in the application process person personally. Cause like, I mean, even, even me that has, you know, years of experience as a software developer applying for higher level roles like director of engineering and stuff. The last time I went around applying, I didn't hear back from any cold applications I sent in, not one, <laughs> right? And like, that just shows that like the, you know, it's just, it's very hard to get a response from a cold application, right? Especially if you're applying to a large company, right? If you're really interested in like cold applying, like thinking at looking at the companies that you're applying to and trying to find smaller companies that are going to have less applications. So there's a higher likelihood that you're actually going to get your application reviewed. Cause it's also, you know, being on the other side of this hiring process, I know as a hiring manager, I put in automated filters. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, if maybe you made one different type, you know, typo on your resume and then it automatically filtered you out. So I never even saw it. Right. And so, and that can happen to people all the time. So recognizing that like, you know, in this like age of automation of like everything, right? A lot of people are just gonna be filtered out automatically. And it has, and it's just, you know, again, a calibration between what you're putting on your resume versus like what they're trying to search for, for keywords, right? So looking for, especially trying to get in as a junior developer, trying to avoid some of those like larger companies that have a lot of this like automation filter is like one good strategy, right? Because, you know, we don't want to just get automatically rejected all the time because you don't have a CS degree, right? That's a total, yeah. you know, it's a valid filter that they might be putting on. And that even if you have great experience, right? And then, so avoiding automatic filters, being able to like actually get into contact with someone, actually potentially meet someone, get on the phone, have a phone call, like then getting into that networking is, is a big, a big piece, right? And then once you start getting into interviews, then it goes back to the, kind of my previous point of like, okay, if you had a negative experience in the interview, you know, what's like, let's walk through it. Like, what were the questions? Like, how did you answer them? Let's understand if 
this is like feedback we should, you know, we should consider, or is it again, like, did you apply to the wrong job? Right. And then kind of like break it down and, and move forward. I think the kind of like hopelessness often comes from not having a plan forward. So like, how can we quickly take the information and put it into a plan of like what next steps so that we then have something to like move forward with focus on and get, you know, past this, you know, stage. Yeah, that's some great advice, man. Um, like one, one other point that I like to also make is uh, like, you know, when times are great and you have recruiters flooding your inbox, uh, it's easy to say, oh, I'm going to just ignore them. But I would say just take the five minutes to say, hey, thank you for, you know, sharing this opportunity with me. Like you're acknowledging them because at times like this, this is when they really pay off. Like, like you don't have mm -hmm. to do five million cold applications. So. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Recruiters are uh, a, a big part of, you know, this process and it works well for some people and it works it doesn't work for others. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I always say, you know, recruiters like never hurts might help. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, kind of taking it from that approach of like, you know, all, always engage, always have a conversation, always build that relationship. If nothing else, it's a networking connection to be able to potentially link to something else. Right. Um, and then, you know, from there, something might happen and might not worst case you have a new connection, your network has expanded. Right. Exactly. Uh, just, just from, uh, your standpoint as a hiring manager, how, how important is, uh, somebody being personable, being able to, you know, they, they kind of have a lively personality, a good attitude. How, because, you know, as engineer types, we can kind of be more quiet, brooding, uh, almost standoffish. Uh, do you think personality plays a part in uh, the determinant factor? Like, I would rather have this, a person with this attitude versus that attitude. Yeah, I, I would say 100%. <laughs> you know, I think there's, um, because at the end of the day, you know, what I said before was like people hire, hire people, right? Like, I don't care if you're the best engineer in the world, if you're, world, if you're terrible to work with, I don't want you on my team, right? And there are some exceptions to that. Like some, you know, I've met people on panels about building successful teams that take the extreme other approach. They're like, I don't need to like you. I don't need to, you know, <laughs> I don't need to enjoy working with you. I just want you to deliver like the best product possible. Right. And so it's under, it's at the end of both of those are culture fit. Right. And so it kind of comes back to understanding who you're applying to and is that going to be a concern or consideration, right? So smaller teams, startup building, the, you know, culture is really important because each person has such an impact on what is happening. Being able to work well together is really important. So yeah, like we're going to put a super high value on like, you know, do you have the technical skills, but also like, are you, am I going to enjoy working with you? Right. Yeah. Maybe larger companies where, you know, it's a little bit more of an impersonal process. You might be able to kind of like brush through and like, it's not that big of a deal, but again, those like larger companies, like you really got to, you know, stand out from a te technical perspective to like get past all of those, you know, filtering. So it's a trade-off. Right. And I think at the end of the day, if someone is not, a pleasant person to work with like that's at some point that's going to dampen their career like they're not going to be able to get past a certain certain point um and so yeah being able to like have and you know i've worked with a lot of people that like aren't they're not bubbly by any mm -hmm. means right like they're very serious they're very like focused but like when you 
engage with them on something that they're interested, they they do get like they do get excited, like they're passionate about this product, they're passionate about this technology, right? Like they might not be much of a conversationalist, but like I can see that passion, and like that's what I'm looking for. Like I'm looking for something, right? It could be passionate about the product, it could be passionate about the technology, it could be passionate about the space, you know, something, right? Um, it can't just be I'm an amazing engineer, hire me, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think like you mentioned, uh, them showcasing their passion and also avoiding, you know, having those traits that you you know that they're going to be a pain to work with, like just the bad attitude, sarcastic, kind of nasty, you know, uh, I think that's a, an immediate turnoff. Um, so kind of going back to your entry into blockchain, I know like back end and blockchain you know, you have to have a back end to do blockchain, but they're kind of separate things. Like you don't necessarily have to do blockchain to get into back end. So how did you make that transition into into blockchain? Or was that just uh, because that's what the first company you worked at was doing, you decided to kind of stick with it? Yeah, I, I kind of just stumbled stumbled into it, right? Like early on, people think about backend and really just zero in on like databases, right? That's kind mm -hmm. of like, because when you're building like a full stack application, it's like, oh, backend, database, right? Uh, and something that was really exciting about the blockchain company that I joined, like the scope of work there was, you know, it was a lot of logic, it was a lot of data structures, a lot of like algorithms, you know, and there were some like simple databases, but because, you know, part of blockchain and decentralized applications, you know, you're dealing a lot of times like an end of one. So it's not the same type of like database problems that you might have when you're building for like a web two product that's serving a million users. Right. Um, but the other things that you then trade off are, it's like a lot of like networking problems, like thinking about distributed systems, thinking about, uh, different types of networking and like DevOps type stuff. Um, and so, you know, all of that stuff is, is backend, right. And some of those things in terms of like distributed systems and certain terms of like network, like really heavy focus on networking, you might not ever get to in you know certain like web two companies if they don't reach a certain scale right if someone if you know there's a company that is only serving like a couple thousand users like their back end might be relatively small right there was a great article uh i think it was like last year like stack overflow kind of like posted like this is like what stack overflow is like built on it's like three servers <laughs> and like you know some load balancers like and like that's like one of like the you know most popular like websites for you know getting information about like you know software development right and so and their back end is like pretty basic right because of you know their usage patterns um and so i'm sure they still have a lot of like challenging you know things in terms of like managing like spikes and load and stuff um but depending on like the company that you're joining you know you might not experience that for a while and so like that was exciting kind of being in blockchain is like where you have to learn about that stuff and like deal with that stuff like from day one because the premise is a decentralized network, you know, nodes communicating and like, how do you, how do you manage that? Right. And so um, that was just like really exciting uh, kind of product to work on and an exciting tech to kind of learn about. And so, you know, as soon as I got in, I, I stayed. Absolutely. Um, so like, what, what are some of the things that you envision blockchain enabling people to do in the future? Like, how is this going to impact society? And what makes you stay in this aspect versus the the new, uh, you know, golden child AI? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's a great question. I think there's, when we look at new technologies, like understanding how they're going to be used and how you might be able to interact with them as a, a software engineer, right? And so 
technology is, you know, can be a tool, it can be infrastructure, or it can be a specific product, right? So if we talk about AI first, right, there's a few companies out there that are actually building AI models, right? And then there's a lot of companies out there that are then using those models like within their product, right, as like a feature, right? And so if you're a developer wanting to like really get into, you know, AI and building AI, right? Asking yourself, like, do you want to build AI or do you want to use AI to do interesting, cool things, right? Because those are two different, two different things, right? And if you just want to use AI, then you can use AI anywhere, just like with software engineering, you can do software engineering kind of anywhere, right? And so, you know, with blockchain, there's a lot more like in the space, there's a lot more companies that are building like blockchain, like technology, right? And so, and then there's additionally more companies that are building on top of those. But I think the nature of the industry is that even those companies that are building on top of other blockchain technologies are still, still have to design things in a way that are thinking about some of the core principles that even those lower level developers are, are building on, right? And so when that comes like decentralization and things like that. And so in terms of, and then going to your question about like, where do I kind of see like the industry going is, is, you know, so the industry you know, started with Bitcoin and kind of that, uh, you know, personal ownership of money. Right. And so really the trend has been what industries, what aspects of life can we give more control back to the individual? Right. And so Bitcoin, you know, DeFi, all of those are really like industry around, like, how do we give more financial control back to individuals? And, you know, that's a great space that I continue to see, you know, ex exploring. Um, that's going to, I think, be around for a while. The other space like gaming is a, another big one, right? Because at, with the evolution of gaming, especially like online gaming, I think like, you know, and really like Fortnite was one of the ones that I really you know, took off in terms of like people being able to spend a lot of like the game was free, but people are spending all this money at buying things within the game, right? Outfits, skills, like different things. But then to, in today's design, all of that is locked into that game, right? So you're kind of, but like if a new game comes out, it's like, oh, I want to like, you know, go to that. I spent all this money on Fortnite. Why can't I bring that stuff with me, right? And so like, that's where, you know, decentralized technology can really be a great fit for online gaming. Cause then again, you buy an outfit, like it is yours. You own that as an asset and you can bring that to whatever game you want. Right. So if you bought like a Boston Red Sox hat in one game, you, your, your, your character could be a Boston Red Sox fan wherever they go, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so like, that's like another big space that I, I think we're going to continue to see. Um, and then that is like a, you know, a specific example within I think a larger subset of the industry, which is really around kind of like data ownership and like online identity. And so I think that's an area where we're going to continue to see innovations in the blockchain space where like, what does your kind of online identity, your data presence look like, right? And how can you use blockchain technology to, to do that? And that was actually one of the projects that I worked on previously in the blockchain uh, was a product called Skynet, where it was about how do we build web three applications in a way where you as an individual own your data and take it with you from application to application, right? And so being able to come to Facebook or a, a Web3 Facebook and make posts, have friends, make connections, and then go to like a Web3 Twitter 
and bring all of that with you, right? So you bring like your social graph from Facebook to Twitter, like your friends, your followers, all of that, right? And as content creators, like you create all this content, it's yours. It doesn't matter which platform you're on, you can share it. So if a platform goes down, if a platform changes its algorithm or whatever, you know, you're not getting locked in, you're not getting, you know, losing all that information as a content creator, you can take that and take your audience wherever you go, because it's yours, and you own it. Um, and I think that kind of data ownership is, is a really big piece of kind of the evolution of blockchain. I'm really excited to see more projects in that space. You said the project was called Skynet. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we got a, a couple of comments. Uh, Squared Mo says, uh, having great soft skills is part of company culture. And uh, we have a question from Zach Tech 96. What's the best way to stand out as a developer? I have some uh, experience working on projects. My tech stack is front end. Yeah, so great question, right? And that's one of the cruxes in terms of this, this market, like how do you stand out? And I think something that we mentioned earlier in this live was about like focusing like what makes you, you like what are what's unique to you? Like what's your story and how can you bring that out? Right. And so there's a lot of front end developers out there. They all have very similar skill sets. Right. So that's kind of baseline. Right. Like, do you have the technical skills to like be a front end developer? That's baseline. And then like on top of that, like, why are you doing it? Why is front end interesting to you? Right. And so we talked about a couple examples like back end projects that um, since that's kind of like more uh, my, my experience, but something that I've seen work really well on a front end side of things that I coach people on is thinking about different ways of doing front end portfolios. And what I mean by that is like, again, focusing on what you're excited about. So maybe what you like is creating really beautiful designs, right? So you're more kind of on the design side of things, right? And an interesting way that you might approach a front end project is to do the same website in like three different uh frameworks right maybe you do one in react maybe you do one in angular maybe you do one in plain vanilla uh you know javascript html and css maybe one uses bootstrap one uses tailwind right so like it's a great way to show your flexibility as a front-end developer to say like hey here's how i can apply this core skill of design across things right or you know maybe it's focusing on like animations, right? Or, you know, whatever it is that you're especially interested in, right? So again, it all comes back to like, what do you want? What do you want to stand out for, right? Answering that question for you. And then how do you implement that? Absolutely. Squared Mo asks, can you give overall things you look for in a resume from top down? Example, name, contact info, skills, et cetera. And what to include, excluding your opinion. Also, maybe mention the ATS system, but can you touch on that again? Yeah, so the resume at the end of the day is a marketing document that should communicate why you're able to do the job that I posted for, right? And it should hopefully answer the requirements that are in the job description, right? And some there's lots of one I would just recommend, you know, people like using if you don't have like a template that you're following for your resume, like using just like there's a lot of like Google resume templates, like those are easy. You can like Google, you know, resume templates. There's a bunch out there, right? Having just some sort of like nice styled template um, is helpful. And a lot of those templates, you can actually find ones that are like ATS optimized. 
to like make sure that it's easy for an ATS to ingest the information um, to an applicant tracking system, ATS. Um, it's going to like try and pull out things like your name, your contact information, like years of experience, like past role and things like that. Um, in that, like things to like make sure that you're including in your past experience is, you know, specific results, right? One of the things that is the easiest determiner for a like okay resume and a great resume is the clarity on like, this is what I did. This is the results. And is that clear, right? A lot of times people on the resumes might just kind of meander, kind of say things that they were responsible for, like, or general categorizations of their role, um, which is not helpful for a hiring manager to know like what you actually did. Like, tell me what you did. Tell me what the results were so that I can validate when you say that you have skills in Python or you have skills in JavaScript or you have skills in whatever, show me something on your resume that is a bullet pointed, like I did this increased productivity by this or reduced downtime by this or you know by X percent to like validate those things, right? So having those key like numbers results are really important and make reading a resume a lot more impactful. So Zach Tech 96 asks, what's the best way to put in a resume? Should I, uh, like, I guess what, what's, what's the best way to put your projects on your resume and should you put them in, in if it exceeds one page? Yeah. So in general, I'd say don't exceed one page, <laughs> right? Because there's at being on the other side, reviewing a bunch of resumes, right? If I have 300 applicants to an app to a, a job, I'm spending 10 to 15 seconds per application to do a quick yes, no, right? And part of that 10 to 15 seconds typically does not include checking to see if there is even a second page, right? And so like, that's like, if nothing else, that is like my strongest proponent for like why you should have one page is because like functionally as a human on the other side, I don't want to look at more than one page, right? The second thing about like on one page is also making if it's a forcing function to make sure that you have the most important stuff on there, right? And in that it is okay to leave stuff off that isn't helpful anymore, right? One of the anecdotes that I use all the time is like, you know, think of yourself as like, you know, 20 years into your career, maybe you're like a VP, C-suite something, right? Are you going to be including like your entry-level junior job, your internship? Like, no, like at some point that stuff falls off your resume, right? And especially people that have that like five to 10 years of experience, that's when you really start seeing like them having like resume bloat because like they're they're holding on to those past experiences that probably aren't serving them anymore, right? And so if you're, so like that's one in terms of like trying to keep it to one page, look at what you can drop off. And I assume um, Zach Tech 96, you might be asking from the framework of like, as someone trying to get into the space, like how do you include that stuff on your resume? One thing that I've seen work well for people is instead of just like a linear history, right? Do think about like developer experience, non-developer experience, right? So like developer experience, put your projects, like what you work on um, and things like that, right? And focus on the most impactful ones, right? And then your non-developer experience kind of builds out that um, work history, your relatable skills, your transferable skills, and it can go from there. I think, and in that, you know, thinking about do I include projects on my portfolio or projects on my resume, 
that reinforces, I think, a point that we said mentioned earlier about building a project that is interesting and exciting, right? And often that also translates to working on it for a longer time, right? And in that longer time, maybe you actually got users, right? So you can actually then talk about it in a way of like, this is like a project, this is a product that I built, like people used it and things like that, right? And then that's a great thing to put on your resume. And like, that's exactly what I did. Like, you know, that kind of like rock pass thing that I, I built. I worked on that for like almost a year. Like I, I talked to gyms, I talked, like I talked to friends, like I, you know, I used it like myself as a kind of like a tracking thing. Right. And so like I had, I could put it on there as, as like legit experiments because of how long I worked on it. Right. A lot of times people think about portfolio projects is just like, what, what can I do really fast to get something up there? Right. And sometimes speed to delivery is like not the best thing. It's like, how about, okay, I could do like three really fast ones that are up there. Then I have three projects or I could work on one for like six months actually talk to people, get users, have it deployed somewhere. And like, that's just as interesting, right? Cause like, it doesn't matter if you did three projects or one project, it's still like six months of work. Right. Um, and I think that's an important, important thing to remember as you're going on there. So Zach says, may I send my CV to you to gain feedback, please? That's an important point. Like how do people reach you? Where, where can they, uh, reach out to you? Right? Yeah. So, uh, easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn. Uh, my, uh, I'm just Matthew CV on LinkedIn. My, my profile is just slash my last name S E V E Y. Um, so reach out to me on LinkedIn, um, send me a connection request on LinkedIn. I always add, if you are sending out connection requests, always, always add a note. So I know where, where we connected, right? Because it's people that are active on LinkedIn generally get a lot of connection requests, right? And it's hard to remember why someone might be reaching out. So always include a connection request like, hey, saw you on, you know, the live. Would love to be able to connect, get some feedback on my resume. Let's connect, right? Happy to connect, happy to, you know, jump into DM, see your resume and give you some feedback. And Squared Mo asks, in your opinion, how important is networking versus code applying? I would say networking is the absolute most important thing you can be doing. <laughs> and there's, you know, time and time again, um, it's, you know, especially in tough job markets, like people get application, get jobs because of their network, because they had a connection, right? Um, I think there was, uh, uh, there's a, a study and kind of like job searching or kind of like job networks, like uh, generally. And I mean, it's something like 80% of jobs are filled by some, some form of referral. You know, whether that's an internal hire, whether that's a recommendation, whether that's, you know, something. And so, um, you know, from that stat alone, it's, you know, net network, 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 um, cold apply is a backup. <laughs> yeah. Thanks Guillermo. That, that, that is my, uh, uh, yeah. And yeah, that's my, that's my LinkedIn. Uh, Hey guys, did, did y'all have any other questions? Uh, if not, uh, we can ask a couple of more and then uh, I know you have to get going. Um, a question I had is like, what, what, what do you see as like the future skill set that developers need to start focusing on? Because, uh, you know, there's so many changes going on in the market. Um, what do they really need to hone in on, for example, for a back end developer and then for a front end developer? Hmm. That's a great question because you know, te tech is constantly evolving. Like there's going to be new frameworks coming out. There's going to be new languages coming out. I think the easiest way to future proof yourself as a developer is to focus on like your brand, like what you're passionate about 
and that because that's going to set the stage right if you're if you're only focusing on you know kind of core languages and frameworks you know it's really hard to know because a lot a lot of times like different companies just are using technologies that like their founders were just comfortable with <laughs> right and so you know if you think about and if you, and so thinking about what you're passionate about like what you want to be known for like what are you excited like what industry are you excited about having that as your kind of guiding kind of purpose and like guiding direction within your career is naturally going to show what you like the changes in the market the changes in technologies and like that's just naturally going to kind of open your eyes like what you should be focusing on next because you're going to see it at networking events you're going to see it from coworkers. you're going to see it in new projects in the space right and so um it's a great uh you know best way to feature produce yourself is just get excited about something understanding what that is and then that focus on that thing is going to be how you identify these upcoming trends you learn about new technologies you know you learn about new things and ultimately continue to be relevant absolutely i think that's uh all the questions i had off the top of my head uh, did you have any closing thoughts you want to leave the audience with um last thing i'll say is really enjoyed being here thank you for letting me join um if anyone is again interested in connecting learning more about blockchain learning more about how to get support into breaking into tech or landing in the next role uh please reach out to me on linkedin uh, my my profile is right there just send me connection requests mentioned that we uh connected on this live and looking forward to talk to you yeah man we definitely appreciate you for stopping in a lot of excellent advice thank you zach tech nine six square mo and everybody else that tuned in but uh we'll catch you guys next time peace